0: Let us pray. So Father, we do indeed pray that you would help us to love you, to love your son Jesus, and that our love for you would increase day by day as we are conformed to the image of Christ our Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. may be seated. Good morning everyone, good to see all of you here on this beautiful morning and thanks to everyone who came out for our our Ascension Day service this past Thursday. We had a wonderful time together and now we're at that Sunday um, between Ascension Day and Pentecost as we continue to commemorate and rejoice in our Lord's Ascension and look forward with anticipation to commemorating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit beginning on the day of Pentecost. Um, Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We will have in this service, I believe it is four baptisms. And um, also it is Pentecost, so I'd encourage you to please, as you're able, to wear red um, for the service as well, which is the tradition in much of the church. Shifting gears a little bit today, for the past several Sundays, we've focused on our Gospel readings from St. John's Gospel, particularly some of the I Am sayings of Jesus. But today i want to shift and focus on our new testament reading from the letter of first peter as we begin i want to make sure i give credit where credit is due both to um j ramsey michaels and also catholic commentator jnd kelly um, for their commentaries that i leaned on heavily as i developed these sermon this sermon We're shifting gears a little bit and these seven verses from first peter chapter four that we heard read this morning are a poignant reminder to us that there is no biblical expectation that the Christian's life and fidelity to Christ and his gospel are easy. It's not. The reality is that fidelity to Christ might very well result in suffering. And this is not to be clear this morning a message of doom and gloom, but it is a crucial sobering reality of which we all need to be reminded especially in the relative comfort and ease of the culture in which we are blessed to live. And also in light of much of what we hear far too often in the Western world regarding Christianity. I know I touch on this a lot, but it's true and we need to be reminded of this because it so permeates the thinking of so much of the church. Things we hear explicitly stated and at other times strongly inferred such as, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Or, the essence of the gospel means that it is God's will for us to be rich. As I heard one person say, Jesus died poor so that you could be rich. Yeah, that's a good way to describe that. And that if you aren't rich and free from adversity, it's because of your lack of faith and really laying hold of the claims of the gospel or more subtly in our culture, we hear of the Puritan work ethic. And yes, there is an aspect of that which is absolutely true, that we are, as God's people, called to work hard and to honor God and our jobs and the way we conduct our business and the affairs of our lives. That's absolutely true. But the 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 subtle inference often associated with that is if you do those things, you will prosper financially. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. There were many fine Christian people who worked very hard, who lost everything in the Great Depression, but not because of anything they had done wrong. There were Christians who honor God day by day, working at seemingly menial jobs or very backbreaking jobs, and they're never going to become rich. And yet they're called, we are called to honor God in the way we work and the way we perform our jobs. The kind of things we're talking about here are gross misconceptions and are far from a biblically sound picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and some of the realities that come to us on our walk with Christ. As one Amish church leader was quoted in um, both Christianity Today and The Economist as saying a number of years ago, prosperity has often been fatal to Christianity, but persecution never. All of what we read in 1 Peter 4 focuses on things such as trials, testings, troubles, and rejoicing, but for the right reasons, not because of sin or irresponsible behaviors, but rather because of being faithful disciples of Jesus and citizens of his eternal kingdom. So let's dive into these verses for a few minutes. And as we do, I have framed each of my three points. and I don't always have three points, but today I do. Um, Let's frame each, I framed each of my three points this morning with the qualifying statement for the right reasons. So first, rejoicing for the right reasons. Verse 12 of 1 Peter opens with the word beloved. And this frames the entire text of scripture by reminding the recipients of this letter that they are members of a beloved community, a supernaturally grounded community of disciples of Jesus Christ. And as members of this community, they are knit together by godly love, despite the troubles and anxiety of their present circumstances. But this truth, brothers and sisters, doesn't just apply to believers in the early church. It also applies to you and me, to us as All Saints Church, despite our warts and imperfections. You know, we do have some but also just as the first century believers were also people with feet of clay. You'd know the the early church had warts and shortcomings as well. If you've read the New Testament, you're well acquainted with that reality. The way this text begins also ties back to what we talked about last Sunday as we explored Jesus' teaching regarding the vine and the branches. How the preeminent fruit produced by being connected to the vine is love. Love, which is only a reality as we are connected to the vine and as God does his good and gracious work uh, in us, his work of pruning, which sometimes hurts, a work that God does even when it is painful. Beloved, beloved, do not be surprised. Peter here in a sense speaks of a twofold surprise. First, they should not be surprised by fiery trials. Now, it's important to note that when most scholars believe that when the letter of 1 Peter was written, it was before Christianity was explicitly illegal or illicit in the Roman world, at least in the area where these, the recipients of this letter lived. It did become illegal, but it wasn't yet. But adversity, opposition, and hardship, specifically because of faithfulness to the Christ, can and should be expected by the Christian. And this was not futuristic. It was a present reality for those believers. And it is a present reality for believers all around the world, and at least up to this time to a lesser extent to us in our context, but believers all around the world suffer specifically because of faithfulness to the gospel of Christ. As the late J.I. Packer wrote, opposition is a fact the Christian who is not conscious of being opposed had better watch himself for he is in danger. They and we should not find these things strange. It should not be strange because as faithful disciples of Jesus, our Lord told told us that this would happen. In Matthew 10, we read, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? In John chapter 15, we read these words of Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And then the apostle John, writing in 1 John chapter 3, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. It doesn't get any plainer or simpler than that. The second sense of surprise which is inferred is that those who malign Jesus' disciples will be surprised because of the believer's response of rejoicing. Again, rejoicing for The right reasons rejoicing because in some small way we share in the sufferings of our lord even as we read in acts chapter 5 and when they had called in the apostles they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of jesus and let them go then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the christ is jesus the key here is rejoicing for the right reasons, rejoicing in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings. And we need to guard and be careful. We're rejoicing for the right reasons. When we're attributing any adversity that we encounter to the right cause. You know, sometimes people get that all mixed up. All kinds of things get attributed to Christ and suffering for Christ that have nothing to do with Christ. You're a crook in your business. You claim to be a Christian or you're obnoxious with other people. And then when they come at you in a worldly spirit, oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're not. You're just being ugly. You're being dishonest. You're being corrupt. And you brought it on yourself. Or I remember, and Satan gets all kinds of credit that he doesn't deserve too. I remember a dear lady, Christian lady, at one of our previous churches came in the office one morning and Tammy was in there and and she said, oh, it's just a terrible day. Satan is persecuting me and out to get me. I got a speeding ticket on the way over here. (laughs) Well, that's not the enemy out to get you. That, you were speeding and you got busted. Take personal responsibility. Rejoicing for the right reasons. Secondly, suffering for the right reasons. Our second point this morning ties very closely. There's been a lot of overlap already with what I just said. And our first point, suffering for the right reasons. Look at verses 14 through 15 with me. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. What is the right reason? For the name of Christ. In suffering for his cause, there is blessing. The suffering God speaks of, excuse me, the suffering God's word speaks of here is, is unjust suffering because of faithfulness specifically as a disciple and follower of Jesus. Ridicule, if you will, for the sake of the gospel. Hardship and adversity because of faithfulness to Christ will cause us to grow and to be strengthened. Hardships can make us stronger Christians. Hardships can make us better people. Um, I'm gonna give a football illustration here, and I, I'm not sure, I won't be clear if this is, this is from a couple of years ago, if it's still accurate or not, but the principle still applies. It's entitled One of the, or The Advantages of Hardship. Only one professional football team, at least at this time, that plays its games in a dome stadium with artificial turf has ever won the Super Bowl, the St. Louis Rams in 2000. While a climate-controlled stadium protects players and fans from the the misery of sleet, snow, mud, heat, and wind, players who brave the elements on a regular basis are disciplined to handle hardship wherever it's found. The Green Bay Packers were the 1996 Super Bowl champions, in part because of the discipline gained from regularly playing in some of the worst weather in the country. Endure hardship as discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews chapter 12. And while a football illustration may make light of the magnitude of what we're talking about here, I think the principle does apply. Hardship will make us strong. Hardship will make us more fit to stand the times of testing. There are many things followers of Christ suffer, but Peter focuses momentarily here on ridicule and insults. We need to expect this. We need to expect to suffer because of the name of Christ. But as we do and as insults and ridicule are hurled at us, hear this, we cannot respond. We must not respond in the same way as the world. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be different we are called to be set apart to follow the example of our lord whose example was foretold by the prophet isaiah in isaiah 53. he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter and like sheep that before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth we live in a time and a culture when there seems to be a wrongly placed value on hurling insults at other people. And it comes from all different directions. But hear me, we as Christians cannot be a part of that. Did you hear me? Even when someone insults us, even when someone ridicules us, we cannot be a part of this. Yes, we can speak to issues. Yes, we can address concerns. But that must never for the child of God, for the person seeking to walk faithfully with his Lord or her Lord, that can never include hurling personal insults and trying to personally demean those who oppose us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to us, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you we are called to be different than the world. We are called to respond by the power of God in us in the opposite spirit. And we can, because of the Holy Spirit of God who indwells and empowers us as disciples of Jesus to live faithfully in obedience to our Lord. You are blessed, verse 14 tells us, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We are also not to get ourselves in the place or the situation where we serve for the wrong or suffer rather for the wrong or for ungodly reasons. Verse 15 talks about this. Commentators generally agree that Peter is not writing about literal murder or thieving here. Rather he, although he's probably writing about meddling in a much more literal way among the church. The church has a few meddlers in it down through its history. No shock there. But rather he is rhetorically emphasizing suffering a penalty which a person has brought upon himself or herself and is deserving of and this is in contrast to suffering unjustly for the cause of Christ if you're a Christian you do something illegal you shouldn't be absolved from the penalty for doing that and don't blame that on persecution This is about suffering unjustly for the cause of Christ. And we can indeed expect suffering and adversity, brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, we can. But when such things come into our lives, especially when inflicted upon us by other people, and specifically because of Christ, let's make sure that it is because of right and godly reasons, and not because of something we've done that dishonors the Lord. And then finally, glorifying God for the right reasons. There is no shame and suffering for the cause and for the sake of Christ. It really means being more fully conformed to the image of our Lord. Peter, earlier in this letter, instructs his readers that imitating Christ in his suffering is part of our calling as believers. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And suffering rightfully in the grace and power of God for the cause of Christ can and will indeed bring glory to God. And we need to explore a little more of the meaning of these verses in verses 16 through 19 because we hear all kinds of interpretations of these verses some accurate and some that are pretty far-fetched and um jnd kelly really addresses this better than i could so instead of plagiarizing from him i'm going to read a quote in other words agonizing and inexplicable inexplicable though they may appear These trials are the preordained opening phase in the unfolding of God's plan for the end. A preparatory judgment and purification are indispensable, and the prophets, especially Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Malachi, have foretold that a start would be made with the chosen people, indeed with the sanctuary and the priesthood. The apostolic church took these ideas up, believing that as the beginning of travails, Christians would have to face hatred, brutality, and imprisonment. Judgment that 1 Peter talks of here in the household of God is a judgment of purification. And again, this is very much akin to the pruning we spoke of last Sunday. So that the fruit-bearing life of God can fill us in an even, even greater measure. And sometimes that may hurt, but in the end, it results in bearing greater fruit for God and for the kingdom of Christ. This is the work of God in believers. And in the end, it is a good and godly thing. In contrast, for unbelievers, the judgment is quite different. And continuing with Kelly, the doom in store for them, the writer implies, will indeed be frightful. No glorious denouement as for Christians who suffer faithfully, but utter destruction. Though less circumstantial, his message is the same as Paul's, who assures his distressed correspondence in Second Thessalonians that God deems it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you. And then what Christ, and when Christ is revealed from heaven, they will be granted rest from their pains, while the punishment meted out on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord, will consist in eternal destruction and exclusion from the presence of the Lord. A common pattern of teaching underlies both. Again, this is not intended to be a message of doom and gloom, but it is a reality check for us. And brothers and sisters, all of this as we look at God's word and God's promises should build us up. It should give us courage, even in the midst of adversity, to remain strong in Christ, knowing that our Lord promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit to remain true and to accomplish his will. And we'll talk about that more next Sunday as we celebrate Pentecost. Mission Network News a few years ago reported on a country in Southern Asia that remains unnamed because it's an area with a lot of persecution of Christians. It's a country that is majority Hindu, and the gospel is experiencing um, great growth, especially among the poor and among tribal peoples. But as new followers of Jesus prepare to go public with their faith and be baptized, and that really marks the point where they're declaring themselves publicly for everyone to see as a Christian. There's a list of seven questions that pastors in that country ask of those believers before they're baptized, or before they consent to baptizing them, I should say. One, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Two, are you willing to lose your job? Three, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Five, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Six, are you willing to go to prison? And seventh and finally, are you willing to die for Jesus? I think these questions are a sobering reminder for us of just what so many of our brothers and sisters around the world suffer for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ as they seek to follow Christ in the countries where they live. And it's a reminder to us and every Christian of what can be the cost, might be the cost, for following Jesus. The bottom line is this we can trust God, he is faithful, and our hope is grounded in him. And as we trust him and walk with him and are empowered by his Holy Spirit, he calls us to rejoice, to suffer, and to glorify him for the right reasons, for the sake of Christ, for the glory of God, and for the sake of the gospel. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this sobering reminder from your holy word. That if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, we are not above suffering. We are not above following the example of our Lord in this area of life. And Lord, we don't wish that upon ourselves. We don't seek that out simply to seek out suffering. But Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what. Lord, may we truly rejoice if we're faced with suffering, suffer and glorify you for the right reasons. And we do remember our brothers and sisters around the world even now who are experiencing these things in measures beyond our comprehension simply for faithfulness to Jesus, simply for obeying their Lord. And Lord, give us grace and give them grace to respond not in the spirit of this world, but with the character and the grace and the love of our Lord, no matter what we face, that the gospel may be proclaimed and continue to reach the ends of the earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.